The Money Show. Other people's money. We learn so much about attitudes towards money on this feature every Monday evening at about this time, where we ask people who are well-known in the world of business, in the arts, in all walks of life. We've had some fabulous guests in the past. of uh, People have come and told us their stories about money, about their attitudes towards money, what has shaped those attitudes towards money, how they've overcome some of the constraints um, that they grew up with in terms of un- their understanding of money and how that has shaped their relationship not only with money but their own family's relationship with money. So no pressure this evening, Aizam Klanga, the chief economist at Alexander Forbes. Always fun to work out how economists relate to money. What's your earliest memory of money, Aizam? Thanks, uh, Bruce, for having me uh, tonight on a different uh, topic, which is not about the economy. Well, it's, it's very. this is very personal. I think you're going to be much more comfortable with talking about the economy than you are about this. But let's go. Let's go. No, absolutely, Bruce. I think uh, my, my, my earliest memory really, it, it gets back as far as I became conscious about the economic environment of the family. Uh, that I couldn't get this item while the, the friend next door had it actually gave me an idea that things went the same as everywhere everywhere else. Uh, They could be better, but there were limitations that my my parents had. So uh, that's what I could say was my earliest memory of understanding what money is because it afforded some of the opportunities that I couldn't uh, access. Where did you grow up? I mean, tell me the, the backstory. Where did you grow up? What did mom and dad do? So both mom and dad uh, didn't complete school. Uh, so essentially, they they worked the the normal uh, law skills, uh, selling uh, goods, uh, you know, vegetables, something like that. For for my mom, my my dad uh, worked at some uh, you know manufacturing uh, company that used to make electric cables. Um, which wasn't really much of a role, but one of the peripheral roles within within the, the company that is based in job exhibity. Uh, I grew up much of my life in, in, in Soweto. That's where I went. So you could, uh, you can tell my story is not really a unique one. It's one of many. How did you then? I mean, with mom and dad not having very much money, how did how did your education work? Because uh, clearly, as chief economist of Alexander Forbes, something started going right for you at some point. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually started when mom passed on in the early 2000s. Uh, and at that time, uh, it dawned on me that the only way that I could access some form of post-school uh, you know, education was if I get very good results that will give me access to scholarships and bursaries. So my absolute focus then became just academics. Uh, I can tell you that uh, from grade 11 until the end of grade 12, I didn't watch even a single episode of Generations, which was (laughs) a typical thing that a lot of the young kids used to watch. Uh, There used to be a series of of soapies uh, that used to play from four until uh, nine o'clock. And I never watched a single of them. Uh, because I was focused on producing good results that were going to give me a scholarship. And fortunately, actually it's not fortunately, by design because I had the ambition to do that. 
I ended up uh, with a, a, a house full of A's in metric, which made it possible for me to appear in some newspaper in the Sowetan back then, and a, a good Samaritan by the name of Sotlohane Manchidi, who, is, who heads up CSI Investec Sowet. He drove, he came home, and he offered me a bursary. That's where everything changed. Uh, ended up in economics, but economics was never really part of my plan. I was uh, that science and math student that thought I was going to end up in, in, in that field somehow. But because of the financial circumstances, Investec being a, a bank, they wanted me to study something in commerce, since I ended up in the, in the economic space. I mean, and again, people can say, oh, weren't you lucky to be noticed? But the point is, you got yourself noticed. And we all know, uh, I'm going to upset people, but I mean, soap operas are a wonderful distraction, I'm sure. But they're not a distraction that you should be having at any point in your life when you're trying to be productive. Um, did it cost you friends? I mean, do you have any regrets at all of missing out on the, some of the, the social aspects that would have, you know, the, the commonality, the, the, the fact that you would have had that much more in common with your friends at school and you would have had more to talk about by watching the, the soap operas and stuff? Were you very comfortable with the sacrifice you made in order to get the results, to get the education that put you on a path? I was very comfortable um, a lot, Bruce. Uh, I lost a lot of friends, of course. That's, that's, that's unavoidable. And at times, I would be called you know, names uh, that I am too stuck up. Because even on a Saturday afternoon, I would be taking my school back walking to the library while other uh, you know, kids are playing on the street. So it, 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 it did chase away a lot of people, but I, I, would, I would think retrospectively, it's the best thing that could ever have happened. Because if, you look, if I look at some of my peers that were the, you know, the, the guys of the moment and how their careers have progressed, uh, I, I can see a massive difference. So the sacrifice is paid a lot, and uh, without that focus and without you know those sacrifices, I can't even imagine how life would have changed for me. But I've always thought beyond me. I've always thought much broader. Because for me, it wasn't just providing uh, for myself, but I thought about changing much of my family environment for the better. And I thought uh, if I couldn't do it, who was going to do it? Someone somewhere has to shoulder that responsibility to change the future of a whole generation. And for me, I, had, I, I, took, I took that upon myself, and fortunately, it has worked out. I mean, it's a huge amount of pressure as a young person to take on. But it is, I think, the fate of your generation of young black South Africans who have come into an environment where the opportunity has been presented and where you've been able to seize that opportunity, but you've been unable, I think, to mass- you know, to necessarily get the personal immediate gratification of those earnings. That money has gone into educating siblings, nieces, nephews, um, I- I'm guessing. Absolutely. And uh, just to mention, I hate the normal term that we, we is normally used that is called black tax. I've never believed in it, and I don't think I will ever believe in it because we can't call an investment in our own family a sort of a tax. It doesn't make sense for me. If we look at the wealthy today, we observe that much of their wealth somehow uh, you know, a big proportion of them 
has been passed on from generation to generation. Yes, there are those that create wealth themselves without, I mean, starting from nothing, but much of the wealth is proven globally, comes from, you know, inheritance, it comes from multiple generations of sacrifices. So if we, if we don't characterize that investments into future generation, uh, you know, as black tax, why should we characterize investment in education of our own families as black tax? So it, it doesn't make sense for me. It's something that just have to be done. But as you said, you know, a lot of us young people, sometimes we wait for the older generation to come and liberate us. But there is a common phrase that says we are, you know, the ones that we have been waiting for. And if you look at the opportunities that are abound today, they are for us to lose. Uh, you know, a, a lot of things are much more simpler now than they were, you know, let's say 30, 40 years ago. So it is upon us that uh, we can actually change the course of our own lives and the lives of those that we, we care more about. Asan Tlanga this evening, Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes. We're talking him. We're talking about money. We're talking about his attitude towards money, what has shaped that attitude towards money. But even as an economist, he has to have some bad money habits. He can't be perfect. He can't be. We'll test that in a moment. So Asim Klanger is the chief economist at Alexander Forbes. Now, other than helping your family onto a more stable and secure financial footing and economic path and enabling people in your family to be able to make their own economic choices in future, Isa, from your perspective, what has been the best money decision that you've made for you? So... Perhaps I could say my, my first income, I earned as a you know, grade 12 student, tutoring other students. Uh, I did a bit of savings from that. That's when I actually started earning my own money. And then I went into university when I was in my second year, I started tutoring as well, more formally. And I saved much of my tutoring income throughout my university studies. And I remember at some point in time when I was doing my honors year, I had stashed some 40,000 in notes sure. under my bed. Uh, so I had a bit of money. <laughs> uh, in notes under your bed? Under my bed, uh, I can tell you, Bruce, uh, uh, because I didn't open a bank account until I was about 22. That was in my honors year when I when I uh, you know, came third in the old, old mutual and net bank budget speech competition, which compelled me to open a bank account. That's when I, I could open a bank account. <laughs> How um, did you live so, with that amount of money? I mean, I've, I've heard of some people living with much more. I mean, it's just rumor and scandal and would get me sued or shot or worse um, if I repeated names here. I mean, I've heard of people um, you know, involved in corruption who are obliged to live with shoeboxes or buy a massive cardboard boxes of money in their houses but i mean where were you in a university residence where were you that you felt secure enough that you could leave this amount of cash sort of quietly squirreled away i stayed at a commune bruce uh, which was relatively very secure uh, your housemates your... did your housemates know the money was there because they must be listening now going if we'd known the parties fortunately, we could have had <laughs> fortunately i didn't share a room with anybody uh, I was fortunate enough to have a single room, so it was just me and no one else in the room. So I didn't have any fear of uh, of losing, uh, you know, <laughs> getting the money stolen in one way or the other. 
I, I remember, you know, I, I always used to, you know, at the end of the month, take the money out and put it across the bed and <laughs> then pack it back, put it under the bed, under the bed. You know, so I always loved to see it accumulate over time. I guess it was my investment instincts that were starting to kick in then, but unfortunately it was just an investment in cash rather than any other asset class. What's the best thing you've ever done with money? Uh, with that money, I bought my first Any money. car when I started working mm-hmm. uh, because I worked in Pretoria at the IMF local office that was based in Pretoria and I had to find a mode of transport because it was, you know, it took too long for me to travel from, from Johannesburg to Pretoria every day, taking about three taxis. So I eventually used the money to buy a second-hand Ford, uh, Ford, Ford Fiesta cash which means I didn't incur debt. So I would consider that the best use of money that I had at the point in time because it prevented me from getting into immediate debt at the, at the, at the, you know, when I started working. I mean, you're an economist in name and an economist by nature. You're somebody who thinks very carefully about how you utilize your money. Money is a tool for empowerment. Money is a tool for advancement. You get all of that sort of stuff. And that's a natural instinct. Even before you started studying, you understood this uh, very, very clearly, I think. When it comes to making a mistake with money, not even you are perfect, Isa. I'm sorry. I cannot believe that even you are perfect. But, I mean, have you made any blunders? Have you made any mistakes, mistakes that we can perhaps learn from? I did. I, at some point in time, uh, after working a couple of years, feeling comfortable without having to worry about, you know, lack of money at the end of the month, um, after a couple of uh, breakdown, because I, I pushed myself so hard uh, for quite some time, you know, I had this thought to say, I have worked so hard for so long looking after everybody but myself. Yeah. Let me go and spend on this one item that is so personal that no one else can actually enjoy it. So I went and bought a Harley Davidson motorbike, uh, which I would take on a weekend sometimes, ride to, to, to Mpumalanga and sit, eat a burger, read and write a few, a few stuff, and then ride back on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I, I, I eventually sold the bike because uh, family complaint is too risky, you may fall and die. <laughs> but did it? And, and did it? Did it, it scratch the itch? Did it scratch? Did you when you when you had this motorbike, which goes against your basic instinct? Um, did it scratch that itch to say, okay, I've made it, or did, did you feel a bit silly going, okay, I'm going all the way to Mpumalanga for a burger? This is economically makes no sense. This is ridiculous. It is dangerous. I mean, you calculate risk for a living, for goodness' sake. So you must have sat there going, if I end up under a truck, what on earth happens to the family? It's etc etc or did it go hang this feels good this feels really really good Look, it, it really felt good uh, bruce I, I i have to be honest and uh, you know understanding probabilities as well the probability is very low it's just a, a high impact possibility if you do fall uh, you know so that understanding of probability reduced the worry at least for me because i understood it's more likely for me to be involved in a car accident than to be involved in a motorbike but if i do get involved the high likelihood that I would die is much more higher on the yeah. motorbike. I understood that very well. So I, I wasn't much concerned about it. And I really loved it. Every minute of it, I loved it. Uh, if, even if I, if I had an opportunity to, to relive again, I would take the same decision again. So no, no but that, 
The, the point is, I mean, the, it, it's wonderful and noble to work in service of others and to help others and to uplift others. But at some point, I, and I, I would finish on this point, we do have to reward ourselves, don't we? Um, at some point, we have to feel like all of this effort is, is worthwhile. Absolutely, which is why even today I do have a small tradition that I, that I do every end of the month. I, I treat myself to a champagne breakfast and so with no fail, you know. So it, it's it's one of those moments where you just sit and say, this is just me, no one else involved, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Even though there are a lot of kids that are going hungry somewhere, uh, but at this point in time, it is about me. I do help many others other times. So it is, it is required from time to time. Uh, otherwise, we, 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 we may feel uh, despondent in the fact that we continue to help everybody else but ourselves. Uh, you know? So, so I, I do that tradition quite often and it feels good at the end of the day and it gives me more energy to go and assist and, 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 and try to, to make a difference out there. Isaac Mklanko, what a lovely discussion.